I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, welcome to Going Off Track. I'm Jonah. And I am Brad. And today we have a very, very, very special guest on the podcast. Very, three varies. Three, well, she's, she is special. She's very special. She's even more special now that she's been on our podcast because it's a good one, guys. She's, she's a fun girl. Fun girl. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jenny Lewis. You may know yeah. her from uh, Rilo Kiley, her amazing um, solo albums. Uh, the Postal Service, um, her her acting career from <laughs> three to nineteen, which for some people seems to be as uh, important as I, I'm a huge Rilo Kylie fan. I love More Adventurous, but um, yeah, she she came in yesterday. I mean, it was I didn't know she was coming because <laughs> Jonah just kind of I don't know what you did. I don't know. I, I we had we had been talking. She was in town working some stuff with my sister, and we had worked with jenny in, in la and met a couple months ago and uh uh we're i just sent her an email like uh hey and i did this podcast you want to come by and she's like oh i'll try yes but I'll, it seems like she just thought you were gonna hang she walked that's in kind of what like, i thought yeah she's she, like oh you want to record something yeah and like and i was yeah. like i was like can we just do a, a whole interview and she's like yeah i'm here and i was like great so she hung out for an hour uh brought in the smoothie that she'd made and so we me and brad as you'll see start asking her about the smoothie <laughs> it's uh, pretty uh we t- talked about the smoothie for a while it's very, i found it very interesting i realize that it may not be as interesting to everyone <laughs> so if you're a fan of jenny's music and want to hear about her whole career about uh you know the saddle creek stuff sort of her acting uh, we got into so many interesting topics aside from smoothie so once you get past that we get into all that. Don't worry. This isn't just like a like a like a Vitamix commercial. Um, but speaking of commercials, really quick, uh, we do have a sponsor for this episode once again, uh, Commonwealth Press, um, indie merch company out of Pittsburgh. They've been they're fans of the podcast and they're supporting yeah, a few. Episodes. They do it because they're fans. Yeah, they like us. We like them. Yeah, they're cool. Everyone there's cool. So um, they make good merch. They make good merch. So check out their site, Commonwealth Press. Dot com. Um, if you go to Commonwealth Press slash podcast, um, you'll get six free shirts added to your order. Um, courtesy of us. Thank courtesy you. of us. Yeah. So you're welcome. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Jenny Lewis's new album is a Voyager. I'm sure you know this. We, you know, she's she's big enough where I don't need to be promoting any of her stuff. But uh, here's our podcast with Jenny Lewis. Um, we hope you like it. Mm-hmm. 
sugar than the other bananas but like if you have any sort of gut health issues the resistant starch is really good if you are jewish and you have a jewish gut which i do <laughs> i do as well the resistant starch is really good for you really and then the last ingredient is colostrum which is <laughs> i'm so la that is pretty LA. So What's colostrum? Weird. Colostrum is um, it is the substance that the mother, uh, be it the cow, yeah. <laughs> excretes pre sort of breast milk, right. and it's kind of like the download yeah. code. So if you weren't breastfed, which you know, you're sad you're, for you if you weren't, you're but but it it again is is like really good for digestive health. So, in case you're wondering, we're here with Jenny Lewis talking about her smoothie. <laughs> Just, I'll rattle off the ingredients again. Yeah, let's hear it again, because I don't think we were, we were rolling then. Well, I'll preface it by saying that I am somewhat on the fringes of the health community. Okay. Uh, in, well, I live in Los Angeles, obviously. I'm, like, talking about a fucking smoothie <laughs> on a podcast <laughs> in New York City. What a dork. With colostrum in it. With col- well, that is that's the the special special ingredient. But so I'm on the fringe of this health community. My boyfriend Jonathan and our best friend Jason they go to these health conferences and they're all about it. And I'm just sort of like by default because I live with a man who is obsessed with health, although he drinks a lot of wine and does other things as well. So I sort of this information that I don't want to know. I I acquire. And then some of it I really like. So the smoothie, getting back to the smoothie, <laughs> ingredients for today, uh, frozen wild organic blueberries, goat kefir, um, frozen cranberries, one green banana, which has the substance called resistant starch, which is really good for gut health. And if you're a Jew like I am, you have a, you know, weird gut. That's just kind of goes with the territory. Right. So that, uh, one half of an avocado and, uh, colostrum. How did you get all that stuff? Did you bring it with you from LA? No, I went to Whole Foods as soon as I got here in a blizzard. (laughs) I want to know who contributed the colostrum to the mix. Um, well, the colostrum (laughs) is, okay, well. BYO? No. (laughs) BYOC. Well, if you're, well, I guess you produce your own colostrum right. if you're a woman. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so colostrum is the substance that is excreted before breast milk and uh, cows. This is cow colostrum. And it's like kind of like the download code for your baby. Right. So it kind of transfers all of the information about the viruses, you know, your genetic makeup. It's a really important. That's why I think breastfeeding is really important for uh, babies which i don't have but and adults obviously and adults you yes they've so. discovered that this substance <laughs> is really good for um gut health which it's, is kind of it's the, interesting because i was going to say you you don't look a day over eight really yeah see it's working it's that <laughs> creepy colostrum <laughs> and yeah. i have the same haircut that i had in the wizard <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> um so how's it going you've been in new york for what like a few days uh no a week and a half a week and a half yes a week and a half um 
I was working on something up on the Upper East Side, and then I made a video with your sister. I heard. Who is, I mean, I just have to say, and I'm not trying to butter you up, but like every single person on the set was just so just impressed by her. Just, she's so sweet and so funny and so open, and it was just a pleasure to hang out with her for a day. You guys, like... I don't think you understand, like, I'm sure Vanessa told you, like, how obsessed she was with True Beverly Hills. Like, I've seen it so many times just by default because it's like <laughs> we had, like, one TV. Um, no, it's it's great, but I feel like it's so cool for her to, like, because we shot with you, Sound Advice in L.A., and that was, she was, like, so excited and, yeah, so great. But that's such a weird way to meet her yeah. because the character of Janessa is such a dick Yes, that, like... If not for the in-between banter where we're just talking, I would have thought that your sister is like a total dick. Yeah, I guess she was just basically making fun of you. Yeah, well, it's just funny to meet someone like that. But then in between, she'd be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Um, But she's so funny. It's hard not to, it's hard to play the straight guy during the Janessa interview because it's so funny that you want to laugh. But you did a great job. Thanks. Um, I talked about drugs a lot, which then afterwards I regretted. Because child actors, you know, they are associated with heavy drugs. It's a bit, yeah, it's a bit cliche, right? It is, yeah. But I feel like so many people must have like learned about you through Rilo Kylie and that stuff who probably don't even know about the acting stuff. Yeah, I have right? to confess that I was, I'm a Rilo Kylie fan and I didn't know that. You didn't know. I knew that you were an actress, but, or from a young age, but I didn't, I didn't go back and look it up. Well, I made a conscious choice. A, to retire. I retired at 19, and I had been working since I was three. So wow. I worked enough to get my pension. <laughs> nice. And then I started my life as That's a awesome. writer, you know, as, <laughs> as like a, you know, doing something that was of my creation. What was the three-year-old role? That was, I was in a Jell-O commercial. Uh-huh. You know, it's really interesting. We had um, Blake on, uh, Blake signed on a couple weeks ago. And I was trying to find a picture of him for the podcast, and I googled him, and it was like Blake Sennett, Boy Meets World, and I was like, "What is this?" And you I didn't know. I had no idea about that. See, he's way more uptight about his, his past than I am. Okay, but really think about it. We're like two out of work child actors who started an indie rock band because we were obsessed with Modest Mouse, and we didn't want to make that the first thing that people knew about us. You know, we wanted people to listen to the music. And then when people find found out, you know, we got heckled in basements all across the U.S. playing to like 20 people and one guy would be like, Pinsky! <laughs> so humiliating. But we struggled through it and we had each other. Um, but he's, st- I bet he's cool with it now. But I was pretty open. Like, yeah, I was in Troop Beverly Hills. But he was not thrilled to tell people about boy meets world or that's the show i never actually saw camp on awana uh oh salute your shorts yeah he, he was, was on, on that. that too really <laughs> which i mean you know <clears throat> different level of child actor dumb <laughs> right it was it a nickelodeon show? it was a nickelodeon show yes not like pete and pete you know which was cool <laughs> i feel like salute your shorts was a little nerdy yeah but so he's embarrassed about I it. Like but that it's stuff great it's cool now no it aged really well yeah um, that is so wild. I mean, it must have been though, I would imagine it would be frustrating if you're like on tour trying to support a record and people are asking you about this stuff you did when you were really young. That's kind of not. Well, you want, 
you know, I think if you're an artist, you live in the now and you right. want people to appreciate what you're doing now. And now I realize I'm 39. That is a rich part of my past that I've mined endlessly for songs. <laughs> and it's something that's that I've become proud of. You know, I, I was a kid. I supported my family. I worked my tail off. I met a lot of really great people and it taught, it taught me a lot. So I'm, to- I'm totally cool with it now, but it took me like 20 years. And you guys are, Rilekow is sort of the first, one of the first like kind of non-Omaha kind of Saddle Creek bands. Is that accurate? Well, Azure Ray, they okay. were, they're not from Omaha, but they had moved to Omaha. So I think they were the first non-Omaha band to be put out by Saddle Creek. But Rilo Kylie, that was kind of a big deal. And we had to get approval from the heads of Saddle Creek at that time, which were like Tim, Connor, Rob, and maybe even Justin Connor's brother. I mean, maybe he was out by then, but but it was like kind of a big thing. Like Connor was kind of championing us. We had to convince Rob Nansel. I, I um, saw Rob Nansel last night, and Double B was talking his ear off about how much I like Jake Bellow's solo record. Like I feel like. That dude's so incredible. Well, you should have Jake on the show. I've had him on. We've had him on. Oh, you have? Great. I mean, Jake is just like such a special writer and human, and I love his music so much, and I want the world to know his music. Yeah. So how can we do that? How can we do that? I don't know. Uh, he, he He doesn't come out here very much. No, well, it's expensive. It's really expensive. To tour, you know, it's like you go out on tour now, and if you're not totally solo, you still lose $1,000. Right. So I think it's kind of a luxury to be able to do that now, and there's so much traffic out there. There's so many bands touring that, um, you know, it can be hard to get people out, so... But I always have him play, open up some shows for me on every tour, and I have his cassette help. Yes. In my kitchen. It's like that and Cass McCombs, Wits End, and then like an old like Frank Sinatra tape. But I, the, the, that's like what I listen to in my kitchen, you know? That's amazing. Yeah, I rec- so I recorded a record in Stephen Peterson's basement in like 2004, and I saw Neva DeNova open for Rilo Kiley at SoCal Underground, I think, the old one. Or oh, if- yeah. That's probably before... When, when you could still smoke cigarettes down yeah. there. It was so gross. It's wild. I had like, a video of one of my old bands, and they, they showed the crowd, and every single person was smoking cigarettes. <laughs> and it looks so weird. <laughs> I was smoking cigarettes yeah. down there. Yeah, it's wild. Isn't it weird that cigarettes have been replaced by cell phones? Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess if you saw hmm. a video now, everyone would just be... Yeah. Wow. Almost like exactly like... just So sad. <laughs> Yeah, what's worse for you? I don't know. We don't know. <laughs> Cell phones are pretty bad. Yeah. They're bad f- for me. I've j- I've never been on social media. I mean, I have a Facebook page for my music, but recently I started on Instagram and I'm hopelessly addicted <laughs> to Instagram. Oh. Like cool. I just at, when I wake up in the morning, it's the first thing I want to look at. I do you want to contribute or you want to just look at it? Yeah, and I've kind of, part of the reason why I ended up directing um, my f- first video for The Voyager, just one of the guys, was because of these little movies that I was making on Instagram, which everyone is doing. Right. But when that happened, when it shifted from just a still photograph to, you know, moving pictures, 
it really appealed to me. And then through that, I, I kind of got the courage up to ask my label to let me direct my videos for this record, basically. So are you directing all the videos? Yeah, I feel like from this point forward, if I'm paying for a music video, which not that many people are going to see, I am at least going to direct it. That's awesome. Warners. Are you hearing this, Warner Brothers? Warner. (laughs) Wait, what's like a Warner Brothers character like? Daffy Duck. (laughs) Hey, Daffy. Was Daffy up to direct? Um... Was that an option? Yeah, it was like Daffy. It was like, you know, who's the guy that does all the director. Green Day videos with like the confetti <laughs> oh. slow-mo. Uh, like famous video director. Yeah, guy. some famous video director. He, wasn't, he really didn't want to do it. But it's always like a stack of the worst treatments ever. Yeah. <laughs> the worst. Yeah, I mean, you might as well direct your own video because there's obvious, there's always a few standouts. But really, you know, for the most part... They're not ever really amazing. Well, and there's just no place for everyone to see them. Yeah. So it's just like a different... Even like the hip-hop videos, which used to have such high production value, right. have now kind of... Yeah. They're just like not as cool. You can't get well, all those fly girls. I, I and like. the yachts are like too expensive to rent. Yeah, I have CGI them. Don't you feel like people who watch videos now, like they're already going to sort of be interested or be a fan? Like I feel like, yeah, it's not like you're, this is on next and this other thing you never mm, heard not of. Not if you're a kid. Really? Yeah. I mean, the kids, man, the kids are constantly swapping out. But I think they're, they're watching what the coolest. They, yeah, maybe. Kid, I feel like I've never. My kids obviously are below the the target audience, but they don't, it's hard for me to convince them that music exists outside of a accompanying video. Really? Oh yeah, you know, I play them something and they're like, right, you can need I see the, the video for that? And I'm like, there was no, there's no video for, you know, the Rolling Stones, um, whatever. I mean, there is some, some songs, but you know, some obscure track. Right, it's not valid unless there's a visual, it yeah. doesn't exist. But I think we now don't get that moment of discovery, like, I, I don't know if you remember watching 120 Minutes. Of course. Oh yeah. It was like, who are these cool people? Like, this is what I want to do. Yeah, you know, I want to be in a rock band. And so I think it's difficult for everyone to see these videos. And, you know, I really don't like those lyric videos. Yeah. Because that's just like what you're talking about with your kids. Like, you have to have some visual content. But it's just a waste. It's just a waste of money, a waste of time. And who makes it through any of those lyric videos? I've never watched one all the way through (laughs) ever. Not even my own. Yeah. Like, next. (laughs) I always think it's funny when bands send out a press release and they're like, this band announced like the song titles for their album. It's always like, I don't know what these songs sound like. Right. Like, <laughs> content, though. It's like a content yeah, factory. Yeah, that's true. And if you're not in it, you don't exist. And it's so scary and sad. How like how hands-on are you sort of with like your career as far as like, you're obviously you're on like a major label, like as far as like how you're presented, like what you say yes to, like what they kind of put your face on? Oh, 100%. Yeah. There's nothing is happening without me being aware of it and making a decision. I mean, then that that's like the tour where I go, the album cover. um, I control my own Twitter account, um, the mixes, the producers. I mean, there's nothing. And I'm really lucky that I have been on Warner Brothers for a really long time. And I think they kind of let me do my thing and don't expect to get rich from it. But for whatever reason, they keep paying for me to make records but yeah i'm totally involved like my album cover i laid out in its entirety 
with like photocopies of pictures that Autumn DeWilde had taken and just handed it in like all taped together and stapled together. Like this is exactly what I want it to look like. And I worked with the art department at Warner's. They were so amazing and it was like the perfect, you know, group of people. It's probably exciting for them too to have someone who kind of knows what they want. Yeah, I just know when I make a record, I just can sort of, it's almost like synesthesia or something. Where you... What's that word? It's like synesthesia is where you can like hear color or something. Oh yeah, I read a book about this. Really? Yeah. Yeah, will you look it up actually? I'm curious like what the definition of synesthesia is. I think you're right. I think it is. Or you taste color? No, you hear it. Yeah. It's like a real small portion of people have this. I think Kanye has it. That's very possible. (laughs) I don't think I have it. Neurological phenomenon in which stimulation of one sensory or cognitive pathway leads to automatic involuntary experience in a secondary, a second sensory or cognitive pathway. So it's sort of broader than I thought it was. But yeah, like when I make music, I see the artwork. Really? Yeah, when I'm listening back and I kind of can see the what I'm going to wear and... I don't think that's exactly. I can see what I'm going to wear. <laughs> uh, I, how did you kind of come up with the rabbit fur coat cover? Because that is, I really like that one as well. Um, thank you. That well, I've been working with Autumn DeWild for since Rabbit Fur Coat actually, because that was my first solo record, and and w- we collaborate in such a seamless way that that really just is one of the pictures that she took and and we wanted to reference the shining a little bit yeah it's got like that. that creepy element which is kind of my favorite kind of imagery like um something that's like a little unnerving you know a little weird um and so she will just for every record take 200 pictures and then i have to kind of go through them and i always see one that's the cover it's just so clear. You look at all the pictures, you're like, that's the cover. So the Voyager album cover, that was one shot that she took. She didn't do more than one among like, you know, where you see my entire body and same setup, but like wider shots. And I just knew I laid out all the pictures. I was like, oh, that's the album cover right there. So it's really just working with another woman as well, you know, and we kind of plan the shoots together and then some are more magical than others, you know. Um, but she's really, really amazing and has such a great eye. And because she's so tall, she's like six, three, maybe wow, six, four. Her angle is like inherently flattering. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> no, cause she's shooting from okay. up high down on you. And it's just like, you're always like, wow, I don't, she's a human I look okay. <laughs> Instead of you never want to shoot someone from the bottom up unless you're like trying to make them look really big. Okay. <laughs> are you, do you, are you you're probably really comfortable in front of a camera too as far as I mean I'm not as Really? No, I should be more comfortable with all of my experience, but it's as it's as if like nothing carried over from my childhood work. Like I'm kind of starting over because I disassociated from acting and I kind of convinced myself that I sucked. <laughs> So getting back into it, that's been the hardest part for me, like being able to direct myself in the video and 
I don't have a problem when I'm behind the monitor and I'm seeing it and telling other people, you know, what to do. But, but when I'm in the frame, it makes me really uncomfortable. Is that something you think you would, would you want to like ever direct like a longer type feature or, get, or maybe try acting again, like come back to it? Or do you feel like that kind of chapter is closed? I just think it's, you know, it's crazy to stop doing something at 19 that you're so successful at. But you have to realize where I come from the different levels of success in Hollywood and what it entails to be an actress. You know, it's very, it can be very difficult. And, you know, there's so much emphasis placed on how you look. Right. That if you can't accept that part of it, then you really shouldn't be in that business. You know, and as like, a, am a woman and, you know, this is like the second time I've said this. Why am I telling everyone I'm 39? But I am. <laughs> You know, it's it's difficult for women over 40 in Hollywood. And Meryl Streep said something recently where she said that when she turned 40, the only um, roles that she was offered were the uh, to play witches. <laughs> really? And then she played a uh, witch in, in, uh, in Into the Woods. But isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Like, but I think... Uh, just it would be really hard for a lot of people too to be in a van like sleeping on floors like all i mean that lifestyle also is i feel like yeah that is that is tough but that's on your own terms right and you're in control of your destiny and your output if you're an actor you're at the mercy of like what's on the page and then the director and the collaboration because making anything like that it's just like a deep collaboration between people well you're lot yeah you're lucky if it's a collaboration. Sometimes it's just being told what to do, right? Right. Yeah. <clears throat> but really, you're, you know, you've got the director, but then in the end, the producers have a say about what's going to happen with the cut. And then beyond that, the studio. And there are just a lot of channels. And when it works, it works great with like the truly great, you know, filmmakers. They, for whatever reason, they find like their flow. Um, but. Wait, what was your question? I, I don't remember. I got want lost you to go in back into movies. <laughs> Jonah wants to see you on the screen again. Well, I do want to direct a feature at some yeah. point. And I actually went to film school. Um, when did you go to film school? I went to film school in the 90s. I went to LACC, Los Angeles Community College. Okay. Which has a really great film program. A lot of the teachers from U USC and UCLA, they teach at LACC um, on their off days. And so I made a bunch of movies on Super 8 and 16 where I like spliced them together by hand. It's like pre-digital era. And I made my first film. It was like a three minute short. It was called Quagmire. And it starred David Arquette. Nice. Who I cast because I had a crush on him. And so I wrote him in a part in very like film school fashion, like where he like rapes me in an alley. <laughs> God. I was like, okay, so here's the scenario. Oh, man. I, I love this so much already. Quagmire. It's not a very good film. <laughs> and it's about, is that the guy from Family Guy? <laughs> you know, this oversexed guy from yeah, Family yeah, Guy? Yeah, later. <laughs> um, Interesting. Wow, that is so wild. So you went to film school and that was... Before you started kind of doing the music stuff or that was while it was... It was kind of right when I was meeting Blake. Okay. 
Um, so I must have been about 18, and uh, I, I signed up for college because I didn't take the SATs because I was, uh, I think I was probably working on set, and I didn't take the SATs, so I was like, I'll go to a community college, and I signed up for film classes and PE. <laughs> <laughs> you can take... You can take that at a community college. Yeah, it's great P- actually. To, to 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 teach it or to actually no, do it. Just to do it. Really? To, yeah, just like running around the track <laughs> and like like circuit training, archery, flag football. Not that exciting, really. <laughs> just kind of like run up those stairs in the bleacher. Really? I mean, it's community college, so it's like. But you have to not pay still, right? You pay. It's cheap if you're a California resident. Resident uh, LACC membership is way cheaper. <laughs> Thus, I couldn't afford the Y. So, right. um, but then, yeah, then I took those film classes, and although the band kind of at that point we started touring and recording, I always wanted to make stuff. So it's interesting because yeah, we just had Tim Casher on, and he's just finished a film. Like he's been got really into screenwriting and that stuff. It's interesting. I feel like you guys have had really kind of parallel. Yeah, and I think he's a storyteller. He wants to tell stories. Yeah. And so I think with music, there are certain parameters, you know, and which are great. But if you want to kind of continue the narrative, you maybe branch out a little bit. How do you sort of stay kind of inspired to like create? Because I feel like, I feel like this comes up in the podcast all the time. Like, do I always feel like, why am I doing this? This has already been done. Like, how do you sort of keeping in, and then i'll be like the planet's only going to exist for so long and then no one's going to remember anything like what's the point of any like this, jonah this is this is you you know that I, but i no, no, I, I, always, I, get it. I always assume everyone sort of is the same i don't know what the planet's people, gonna end so why make art yeah yeah i have that thought all the time obviously it's to get laid jonah <laughs> that's why i do it come on you really missed that whole that whole thing. I guess so. You need to go to community college and study I maybe I need to rock one hundred and one. <laughs> but you seem like really inspired, and I'm just curious, like where where do you think that kind of drive comes from, just personally? Well, I'm the happiest when I've made something, and I don't write songs for anyone but myself, really, unless I'm writing for someone else. <laughs> Uh, but I just, that feeling is unparalleled to me. And, you know, the moment you finish a song, even after making a little crappy Instagram movie, it's like the happiest I could possibly be. So for me, I'm just like chasing that feeling every day. So if I'm not at least trying to do something creative, I'll like sink into like a deep, dark, you know, like... That game Pitfall. Do you remember that game yes. Pitfall where you're like swinging on the ropes and then like you end up in the quicksand? <laughs> That's like if I don't create, I'll end up in the Pitfall quicksand. Okay. Like, so for me, it's like not a uh, a ch- choice really. Um, and I'm, I'm a bit of a conspiracy <clears throat> theorist and um, think about all of those things as well, but. But that's kind of separate from like the need to make stuff, you know? Yeah. Have you noticed, is there like a term like 
a length of time that you can take off and not do stuff before you start to get itchy to, to like get back into it. Or do you ever, do you ever like go on vacation and like, I'm not going to no. I don't go on vacation. So you're always creating. I do not go on vacation. Well, I travel for my job. Right. And I'm I'm not cheap, but I'm like, I'm like thrifty. <laughs> so I always, maybe I'll stay a day extra somewhere right. if I'm like already on tour, but I really don't go on vacation. And if I did, I would probably take a four track with, with me or something. But do you take time off and chill out? No. Really? You don't need to like decompress ever. Well, I don't have a day job. So my days are pretty open. Right. Even on tour. So there's a lot of downtime. Um, and you have legal weed in <clears throat> California. Yes. Which helps with the downtime. <laughs> if you have a medical condition. <laughs> like, say, menstrual cramps. <laughs> oh, shit. What do, what do the guys have? Guys have migraines. Oh, okay. Or they can't sleep. <laughs> Insomnia is a big one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just don't take any time off. But I'm also, you know, that that idle time when you're an artist where you kind of have to set the rules for yourself, it can also be very dangerous, I think. And a lot of creative people, those are the moments when they get in trouble when they're not working. Right. It's the in-between where, like, the overdoses happen. Yeah. yeah. Why, when you sort of, we've had so many people on, I guess, from the kind of Saddle Creek lately, like, like Denver came on, Jake and stuff. And I feel like, how do you sort of look back on, remember that like Devil in the Woods cover when yeah. it was, yeah. like, how does that feel? Does that feel like you, does that feel like that was like, do you disassociate with? Does it feel like another person almost? Does it feel like, cause I wasn't a part of that, but it just feels like it was sort of so long ago, but that music still sounds like so sort of relevant. Like, I feel like it, a lot of it stood up really well. That was such a magical time um, for everyone, I'm sure. But for my band, we'd never been a part of anything before. And in L.A., we were dorks. And to be embraced by a community of great songwriters was like our dream come true. So it was very, very magical. I mean, when I look back on it, I get a little emotional because not everyone sees each other all the time anymore. I hadn't seen Tim in years. Some of us are closer than, you know, Connor is still one of my best friends. I'm like staying at his apartment right now. But there was an innocence to it and a belief in like this community that has changed. You know, it changes when you grow up and you've got kids and you've got a mortgage. and right. You know, you have medical things, whatever it is. I just, that, that that sort of moment is like frozen in amber in a way. And it seems like there just hasn't been, I mean, I know there's local music scenes everywhere, but something sort of like that where so many bands of sort of that kind of quality coming out of some small town. Like, I don't know if that could happen now. Like, I don't know if it's because of the internet or because things aren't as like place-based, everything. I don't, you know what I'm saying, sort of? Well, things happen so quickly now. Yeah. That it doesn't give time for a community to develop. And I don't want to sound like an old fogey looking back. Like, when we were doing it, it Jenny's was Jenny's 39. I don't know if you guys knew this. <laughs> oh, my God. I better say that before I'm 40. I better, like, just Jenny get is, the most Jenny out of it. Jenny is 39. Oh I, my, uh, my mom had... Uh, I remember my mom's uh, 40th birthday party. And I remember she had a, 
a candle that said uh, 40 X'd out and it said 39 forever. And I remember not being able to understand. I was like, wait, you're 40. Why would you want to be 39 forever? It's your birthday. This is awesome. <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, I don't think you understand when you get older. It's like, it's different. Me and Mrs. Bear. Yeah. You guys are both 39 forever. 39 forever. Yeah. I remember <clears throat> shopping at Forever 21 um, when I turned 30. And then we started calling it Forever 31. <laughs> But I don't think that can work at 41 because the fashion is just like baby doll dresses. And my biggest fear is being one of those old little girls. <laughs> I don't know. You have a very cool Grateful Dead shirt on right now, just so our listeners know. Thanks. This was a gift I got for Ryan Adams when we toured together last year, but then I kept it. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He sort of pissed me off. It happens so. to me more than I do it to others, but... That's when you know it's a good gift. Mm. My oh. wife does it a lot. She buys me really cool clothes and then I never see them. <laughs> I do that too where I'll get my boyfriend like a, the coolest shirt and then like it'll end up in my closet. And the stuff looks really good on me. That's the thing. She's very good at shopping for me. But then every now and then, like I just came across this jacket the other day hanging in the... And I was like, oh, I love this coat. Where's this been? She's like, I've been wearing it almost every day. I'm like, oh yeah, it looks good on you. <laughs> women are so like manipulative with their their fellas fashion because i'll like lay out well i buy clothes for my boyfriend like i thrift shop but i buy clothes for everyone because i only shop at the goodwill pretty much right and thrift stores all across the world which your sister actually made fun of me as oh, yeah. Jan- or Janessa made fun of me. Like, uh, do you like every day like go out vintage shopping for like cute little dresses? I think so I think I actually wrote that because <laughs> when we recorded in Lincoln, I feel like they were like Jenny Lewis was just here. She was like at the thrift store down the street or something. Or oh, I'm obsessed. <laughs> it's my passion. Thrift store shopping is my passion, and it's also a charitable way to sort of keep a habit going. Because you're like, I buy my clothes at the Goodwill and then I redonate my clothes to the Goodwill. I just feel like for me, it's like, I can go to a record store all day and be fine. But for me, it's like so labor intense, like just going through. St- I just feel like. Oh, you got to be. Some people, I just, you're probably a pro. I know. I've, pro- I've, I've been with people it, who will walk in. And it doesn't have to be a thrift store, but a thrift store is a really good example. Like I've been with um, like stylists <clears throat> and they'll walk in and like they'll see something it's like from across the room and go over and grab it and it's freaking amazing like they literally just like can scan the room like terminator and just start pulling shit out jenny what's your technique thrift store well i would never share my secrets okay (laughs) that's probably smart but i will say that it's a very special time for me and my creative process as well because not only are they always playing like weird jams in the thrift store but you get to meet like the coolest people that are working there who are like being rehabilitated or like re-entering society and then like the people that shop at the goodwill it's always a good time and i end up having the best (laughs) conversations at the goodwill seriously like i told him the security guard at the goodwill on the upper east side this like young kid about on the road we had like a conversation about on the road and he had never heard of it before Wow. And I told him all about Jack Kerouac because he had done like a cross country trip. I was like, you should really check out On the Road. You might like it. He's like, On the Road? What's that? But anyway, just that that's an example of just like a weird interaction. So if you don't want to give away secrets, but let me ask you this. When I, when I was playing in bands, I was, I was pretty 
pretty much clothed entirely in thrift store clothing. And we always had the golden cities that had really good thrift stores. And I remember Las Vegas was amazing. Hmm. So do you have secret towns that you know are going to like give up great shit? Omaha has always been a great source. But Vegas is a good one. That's where I'm from. Well, I was born there. Ah. So Vegas, when you kind of go on the outskirts. Yeah. I actually found an amazing like 19, early 70s dead stock Adidas tracksuit in Vegas (laughs) at a thrift store, which then sort of became my kind of default look. Um, Vegas is a good one, but that's all I'm saying. It's all right. Because I remember reading an interview with some young artist and she kind of gave away her favorite thrift stores. And I thought that's just like a betrayal of the code. Maybe she was only giving away her like, you know, her number seven, eight, and nine. Maybe she was saving the others. Like I suspect you are doing. Maybe. Can you tell I'm lying? (laughs) Can you tell that I'm lying? (laughs) Jenny thinks I should go to Miami to their thrift stores. Oh, those are the best. (laughs) Those are the best. Well, Florida just as a whole is my favorite place to go on tour because it's like upside down California. Really? I feel like most people, it's their least favorite place to go on tour. See, but I'm Jewish (laughs) in Florida. It just, it it speaks to me on such a profound (laughs) level. And I love granny fashion. Okay. So I have a lot in common with like 80 year olds and 90 year olds. (laughs) And so it's like the best source for like weird, you know, sweaters. Yeah, that's true. Do you think you'll be in California for a long time? Do you ever get the urge to to move somewhere else? I do, mostly just to like escape my family. <laughs> like, fuck you, I'm out of here. I'm moving to New York. It's always like a threat. It's mean. But I think I should live somewhere else. Yeah. At some point, yeah. I'm getting a little bored, honestly. And I have an amazing house and I'm in the woods every day. But it's a little removed, and I, I just being in New York for the last w- week or two or whatever, just like that feeling that you can just like go out and have an adventure with yeah. no planning is is really inspiring. But I feel like you have a car, so it's like you can go wherever you want, whenever you want. I do have a car. I have a, a Ford Focus. Really? Wagon. Nice. O five. <laughs> really? Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> we call it the salad. Because I think it was one of those Hurricane Katrina cars that was like underwater. <laughs> and it <laughs> smells snow? like a weird salad in <laughs> oh, there. You can't get like that a out. weird salad. That's amazing. But it I've been wanting to get a new car for you. I threaten every season, like, oh yeah, I'm definitely getting a new car this this season. And then I never pull the trigger. And I just drive the focus around. Hey, down. if it keeps going, what the hell? You That's know? so funny you say that because I I'm not trying to name drop, but I remember someone else having a conversation about having like a really old car. Didn't have like Raven and it was Ben Gibbard. Gibbard, yes. This is why we're best friends. <laughs> this is why we're friends. He <laughs> drove the shittiest. Oh my god, what was it? Forever, and he would like pick me up from the airport. I played in rabbit fur coat in this car, and we drove around Seattle. And he just doesn't care about that stuff. I don't either. I don't care about driving a nice car. I feel like that's a very L.A. thing, though. I feel like that's something people in L.A. really, like, I feel like not, aside from comfort, it's like kind of a status thing there, maybe. Yeah, I'm just sort of like, I don't care. Yeah. You know, 
And I'm not like pulling up to a stoplight, like wanting dudes to look at me or race or race. <laughs> you know, I just kind of want to like get to, from point A to point B in the salad. That's what it's for. Come on. It's transportation. I back it. But I do think once I turn 40, <laughs> here we go again, I might do that thing where I'm like, oh, I need like a fancy car. We'll see what happens midlife crisis I, style. <laughs> I do think it's funny. I mean, you guys are like playing at like the Barclays Center together. I mean, it's it's wild. Like I would think you guys would have like these crazy, like, or at least I maybe like not trying to judge you, but like maybe like some kind of Prius or like kind of environmental type. I think he has a Prius now that's totally banged up. I don't know. He is a crazy driver. Yeah. Ben. Oh, my God. <laughs> that would be love cool. you, I've Ben. I've never seen a banged up Prius. Oh, yeah. He is. That seems like a cool car. He's very <laughs> aggressive driver. <laughs> I guess you need an outlet for... Your anger. Your anger. <laughs> um, he's just... Ben is so awesome because he's just like <clears throat> kind of a military kid. Because his dad was in the military, so he's like very on time, and he just wants things to run smoothly. You know, he's a very reasonable person. But I learned on the postal service tour that if you're not five minutes early, you're late. Okay. And I'm always ten minutes late in my life. Not more than ten minutes, but usually ten minutes. So I had it was there was a period of adjustment where I was like, wait, I'm exactly on time, but I'm late. <laughs> That is so funny. But we had to, on tour, you know, it's like you you have to kind of bend a little bit, both of us. So I had to be a little more on time, and he had to be a little more relaxed with the time. And I think it was a good lesson for both of us. What was that tour sort of like? Because, I mean, obviously, Give Up came out when, like, 10? Oh. It had been 10, I think, years, two years ago, so. Okay. You, I can't do the math. I can't either. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, was that... What was it like kind of revisiting that? And I, I'd imagine, because the Postal Service didn't really tour that much initially, right? I feel like. We did, actually. Yeah. I mean, people, somehow people think we didn't, I mean, we didn't do like a full album cycle, but we toured the entire U.S. Okay. And then we did a tour of Spain for some weird reason. Really? And then we played like in London and that was it. Okay. So we did, you know, full U.S. in a van together tour with this guy Sex opening up, C-E-X. Oh, I remember. I remember Sex. Sex. Uh, he was a rapper. Yeah. And Ben invited him to ride in the van with us. So it was like us and Sex. <laughs> wow. And uh, yeah, we Nick Harmer from Death Cab was our tour manager. Okay. And we shared two hotel rooms sex got his own room for some reason and then the rest of us shared a room where it was nick and ben in one bed and me and jimmy in the other bed and jimmy and i slept with a pillow barrier between us every night <laughs> cutest thing ever and we just like you know you know how you do it you just like play the shows come back count the money yeah <laughs> and uh keep going that, yeah that's... You fall asleep with the tv on <laughs> Yes. Uh, that's what I remember. <laughs> the best with your friends around you. It's like the safest place yeah. in the world. Yeah. And now I'm lucky enough, I have a tour bus and I sleep so great on the bus because I'm just surrounded by people. It just feels like it's just like the perfect environment. I love it. See, that's the, that's the thing. People, you're made for this business. Like you enjoy all the, the aspects of it that other people find annoying and like, 
that's cool. There's well, people like that. You're yeah. And I like people and I like being around people. And I think part of the reason why Rilo Kylie broke up was because Blake doesn't like that part of, and that's just his, and maybe he's arrived at a place now where he wants to do it again, but like he hated touring. He, everything was so difficult for him, just the travel part of it. And so it just created it's tension. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like either you're a road dog or you're not. And I would rather be on the road than be at home. Truly. Yeah. No, it's you definitely, it's interesting because you definitely fall into two, two different, and there's people that do hate it and they, <clears throat> they find how to, you know, they figure out how to deal with it because they love making music, you know, but. Um, yeah, there, then there's people that could probably ride in a van their whole life almost. And that's what you, you're saying. You could do that. Well, no, well, no let me be clear. <laughs> I could be on a tour bus for <laughs> the rest of my life. I couldn't ride Warner in a van. Warner Brothers just called and they said, <laughs> wanted to see if you could downgrade to a van. Daffy's on the line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is, is it, what's it like? Or is that Donald? Like, yeah. Is it fun to kind of touring with your boyfriend? I mean, is that? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's so, I mean, that's like the dream where you get to like have your real life and your artistic life in the same place. But it's also really important to be autonomous, I think, as an artist. So on this last, all the shows for the Voyager, he's not in the band. Okay. But he comes out and visits. But it's really important for me to like be my own person and be the leader you know, and to not like rely on my dude to help me, you know, right. which he's helped me from the very beginning of my solo career. There's just no way I could have done it without him. He's been so supportive and just always there for me to like, what should I put in the set? Or just those questions you have that when you're used to being in a band, you have your band to bounce it off of. But when you're working with a band of like paid musicians who aren't invested, you know, in the songs and whatever else you get when you're in a band, that community, it's just, you kind of have to make all the calls, you know? I didn't realize when you and Tim were talking before, you played with The Good Life? Uh, no, Rilo Kylie okay. and The Good Life toured okay. on multiple occasions. The first time being opening for Super Chunk. That was like Rilo Kylie's first big uh, national tour. Oh, wow. And The Good Life were the other band on the bill. And that's how we found Saddle Creek. Um, we Well, I had been a Bright Eyes fan. I had been listening to Fevers and Mirrors, and I kind of spread that through my band, and that's all we were listening to in the van, Fevers and Mirrors. And whatever, like, EP came out right around that, every day and every night. Or, okay. Um, and so one day I wandered over to the merch table, and Tim was at the merch table, like, setting up the CDs, and I saw Fevers and Mirrors, and I was like, wait, is this, you mean to tell me this is a part of, you're on the same label? And he was like, yeah, we're, we're from Omaha. Actually, we're going through Omaha. We have a day off if you guys want to just follow us in the van and come and meet some of our friends and meet Mike Mogus. Um, I had mentioned that we were looking for a producer. So because of Tim, we ended up meeting Mike in Lincoln, Nebraska, and hitting it off and making our record there. Yeah, it's so crazy recording there at that old student Lincoln because it was so built up to me because I loved all those records so much. And then I got there and I was like, I can't believe it's just this kind of like little building, like presto. You know, yeah. Oh man, those are some of my like 
best memories of my whole life are at that studio, just in the middle of a blizzard, you know, in Nebraska, a block away from the liquor store. (laughs) There's like Um, a strip club down the street. Yeah, went there a couple times. Bunch of thrift stores. Yes, a lot of thrift (laughs) stores. within blocks. (laughs) So you just hubbed out of the studio. We did. But um, I, before we went out to make the record, I was searching for affordable housing. This is pre Airbnb. (laughs) And uh, we couldn't afford like the cheap motel a block away, which um, that was too much for us because we were going to be there for like a month. So I found a flop house and like in the phone book maybe and called and didn't see any pictures of it, but it was like so it was a weekly rate for these rooms and it was a couple blocks from the studio and I thought, well, this is going to be great. So we get there, and it's like a true flop house, like shared bathrooms, like transient living. Right. And so we got three rooms, and then... Oh, no, we got four rooms, and then Pierre, our bass player, opted to sleep on the floor of the studio rather than the flop house <laughs> room, because it was that bad. And there, there was like a shared bathroom, and one night, Jason went in the bathroom and like someone had like smeared shit all over the walls oh. of the flop house. But I had the one room in the basement that had its own bathroom and I've loved it there. It's like the best apartment I've ever had in the basement of this flop house next to the giant heating system. So it was like 1000 degrees <laughs> for a month. You stayed down. Yeah. There. For a month. And I, I so absolutely wild. loved it. Yeah, we sting. I slept on the floor of the studio, and then we did the Everyone other half that. at uh, Stephen Peterson's basement and slept at his house when he shared like a driveway with Connor. Yep, Lafayette. Lafayette. Yeah. Ooh, sorry, I don't want to give out. I don't, I don't know if he's still there. Of them live there anymore. Um, that house. Yeah. They recorded. Fun they recorded some stuff. Was that what they did? Like the Neva Denova Bright Eye split. I think they did a bunch of yeah. stuff. Was recorded there. Did you ever record there? I I made one rap song with Connor's cousin Ian. Okay. Rig. Um, but aside from that, I don't think so. But I think they made that Christmas record there as well. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) And now you probably record in maybe more professional type settings, I'd imagine. I do sometimes. Yeah. But I also really like recording myself, which is, I think, where I'll end up eventually, like making records at home. But I like working at cheap... There's something about like... It's like the Ford Focus. You know what I mean? It's like... If I, if the stakes are low, then then I feel like I'm like free to be myself. If it's too fancy, I can't function. I get too scared. So like when Rilo Kylie started making Under the Blacklight, we started at a small studio in Silver Lake where like Elliot Smith made part of... XO and I loved it. It was like the best music we had ever made. And we made a decision to move to Sunset Sound, which is like where the Rolling Stones made like Exile. And there was something about that environment where I just I kind of lost it a little bit. It was like too nice for me to feel comfortable. Is that weird? No, it's not weird, in fact. Um the I'm gonna, I'll show you around later here, but like when we, I helped design this place and that I had vivid memories of when I first started as an artist and got opportunities to go into like some of these not really nice studios and that it was like 
they're like hotel lobbies, right? Like a lot of the, just the decor and stuff just seems so sterile. And I always preferred like my favorite studio in the world is um, Dreamland, which is upstate here. And it's an old church, but they didn't, they haven't refinished it. Like it's like a, it's basically like a barn almost. And they just left it all like completely raw because it's, yeah, you always feel like you're going to fuck something up or like it's the pristineness of it, of those kind of like top level studios is really, um, I'm totally with you on that. And I, you hear the clock ticking, you know, yeah, you're like, oh my God, this is costing me how much per minute. But it's funny because then I went back later and made a record at Sunset Sound, but with Ryan Adams, who has his Paxam studio sort of on the same property. And somehow I felt at home there because it wasn't like, I mean, it's a professional, beautiful studio, but it's his space. It's like his weird little clubhouse. Right. So that somehow I could wrap my head around and. And I want to feel as an artist that I can go work in beautiful studios, that I'm like worthy. Right. And maybe I'll get there. But um, yeah, so far I do better well, in the I, I mean, you're used to like, <laughs> as an artist, you're just used to being, you know, you know, like in rehearsal spaces and like, cl- you know, backstage at club. It's not that pristine, nice studio environment is not where you've been creative. And yeah, I've just always had a problem with those kind of places. Well, that hasn't been my experience, you know, (laughs) like we started just in our garage making music and recording like early digi recordings in our living rooms. So, yeah, I, I would imagine for some artists that come out and their first record blows up, like their experience is different, you know, they're. Yeah. They're experiencing those things right from the jump. Right. So they're comfortable with it. Yeah, they don't know any different. You're right. But I feel like most, that's interesting to hear because I feel like most people's perception of someone like on your level would be like, oh, she must only go to nice studios. She must have like, I think it's cool that you've kind of kept, like stayed kind of true to yourself, I guess. Yeah. And it's not for any cool factor. It's mostly just fear based. (laughs) I'm serious. Like, what are you scared of? Everything. And I'm such a scaredy cat, late bloomer. It just takes me forever to feel comfortable and like warm up. Like I didn't tell my boyfriend I loved him. We've been together for 10 years. Okay. And it was like, it must have been seven years in when we were standing. We have a koi pond in our backyard and there is a dead rat in the koi pond for some reason in that moment i just i loved him so much and i just said i love you babe and he was like by the rat in the koi pot (laughs) but it took me seven years so it just uh, i'm still warming up to the universe it means something you know yeah no and when i say it i really really mean it i don't say it very often you're like a dude Am I? I Am I like a dude? I don't know. I'm kind of like a dude. You seem like... (laughs) I'm kind of like a dude. In in good ways, in all the good ways. But she breaks just like a woman. (laughs) Just one of the guys. It's kind of like the story of my life, that song. And it's... Good segue back to the record, Lewis. Really impressive segue. (laughs) No, but it's weird because it's like... It is, it is the story of my life to a certain extent, but there's one line in the bridge where I say, like, I'm just a lady without a baby. And that was kind of like the question I got asked the most. 
in all of the interviews that I did. Um, and the song isn't just about that moment, but I think to articulate that as like a woman in her thirties, you know, really, that's, a, that's something people ask you in interviews. Oh yeah. Like, so are you going to have kids? So tell me about your ovaries. <laughs> what? That's so crazy. Are, are they doing dusty? Interviews with? <laughs> are your ovaries dusty? <laughs> I don't I thought, fucking know. I, th- I figured everyone's just asking you about your smoothie recipes. <laughs> well, they will now. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, that's so. That's such a weird, like, personal, like, question to ask someone you don't know. I feel. Well, this is interesting. Okay, so I was on Gian Gomeshi's last ever show. I don't know if you guys know who Gian Gomeshi is. He, I don't. He's the CBC. Um, journalist who hosted the show called Q in Toronto, which was kind of like the KCRW, like taste making kind of indie show with writers and artists. And like, he was like the main indie rock kind of fan in Canada and brought a lot of artists to the kind of mainstream through a show. So he later, when, when you guys look this up, it's going to blow your mind. So he was accused of inappropriate behavior with women under the sort of umbrella of BDSM, which is, I don't know what it fully stands, like bondage to something D, Dom. masochism. Dom. We know what it means, so. As you can tell, I'm a late bloomer. I have no fucking <laughs> idea what that means. So this guy, I can't believe you guys didn't hear about this because this story came out right before the Bill Cosby story broke. Okay. And the two are linked in a way. And many women came forward about him abusing them. And I don't know, you know, many women came forward. I don't, I think he turned himself in eventually. I don't know if there's a court case pending. Um, but I did his last show with um, Martin Short was on the show. Jill Sobule, who created I, Transparent. Is, I kissed a girl, Jill Sobule? Oh, no, wait. What's the woman <laughs> who wrote and and d- she directs Transparent, that um, show, which is, I think, about her own family. Anyway, um, Bob Odenkirk, myself, and one other person that I can't remember. And uh, it was about a week before this story broke. Okay. About this guy, this journalist. And during the interview, he asked me that question. Like, relating to my, like, viability as, like, a reproducer. (laughs) And in the moment, it struck me, strangely. You know, because that's such a personal thing to ask. And other people had asked it. But for whatever reason, it just stopped me for a moment. And then a week later, all this stuff came out about this dude and... It was really weird to have been a, just a part of it in a little tiny way, you know? Did he at least balance it with a question about bondage or wearing leather or something? <laughs> too soon, too soon. No, he he's actually really great at his job, you know? It, it was a really good interview. But there was just that one moment that gave me a twinge. And it just kind of taught me about intuition and female intuition. And, and certainly you could, in retrospect, look back and go, that was a creepy moment. But it really was for me. So I think that just to bring it back to that line and that song, I put it out there. And so I have to be willing to field questions about it. That's part of my job. But it is pretty personal to have someone talk to you about or ask you about that stuff. Can you just sort of deflect it or like how do you normally 
Well, I I mean, it's supposed to be funny. Right. But it it's both. It's funny and it's not funny. And it changes every night on tour when I sing it. Because some nights it's really funny and some nights it's just sad. <laughs> Depending on, you know, I'll like smile during it or it'll sort of strike me in a, in a different way on any given night. And I think that's the, that's an example of a really, a well written line, you know, that kind of evol- the meaning evolves, you know? Yeah. That's the best kind of lyric, man. It can be, re- you know, interpreted in different ways, I think. Yeah, I agree. I can't believe I just talked about Gian Gomeshi. <laughs> you guys are going to freak. Can you spell it? Because like, <laughs> how do you spell his name? I think it's J-I-A-N. Gio. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to watch your episode and then I'm going to read about him. Well, it's radio, so I oh, don't. It's radio. Although okay. I think maybe there was some sort of yeah. I, wa- listen I, to it first, but they may have kind of scrubbed it. I don't oh, I know if it's actually out there. They may because I, I think they're like reinventing the show now. Gotcha. Um, but it's a very weird part of that. The you know will be like the like history of the CBC, you know, and just. Uh, <laughs> When you suspect something about someone or you hear about it for a long... Like, I feel like a lot of people kind of knew that and didn't necessarily address it. Yeah. And when you're dealing with a man in, like, a position of power like that, how you abuse that power. Um, and it's kind of hard to get those guys out of there, you know? Yeah, that's interesting, though, having that kind of intuition. Yeah, I just had a weird... Just a twinge. How do you feel right now about me and Brad? Pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. I feel totally safe. <laughs> okay. I'm glad. Like there's no threat at all. <laughs> good. Oh, that's well, jeez. That's what we tried. No, that's Not a even a little one. Okay. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> wow. Ending things on kind of a dark note there, but I like it. Yeah, that was fun though. That was a good, that was a good podcast. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, she told Jonah had to split and she hung out for a while here at the wonderful Converse Rubber Track Studio where I work, in case you don't know, and where we record every going off track podcast. Yeah, and she left her boots. She was like, uh, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna leave the we we gave her some shoes and she was like, uh, I don't I think I'm gonna leave these boots and then she was like, I don't know. I, I, I used them in a video I shot yesterday. I was like, I think someone would probably would want these. <laughs> Like boots that Jenny Lewis wore in her music video. But I guess to Jenny Lewis, these are just uncomfortable boots that I wore. Who cares? Well, they're in the, they're in the shoe room. They're in the she, shoe she room. She can come back and get them if yeah. she wants them. Jenny, if you, wanna, if you ever want those, we'll hold on to them for you forever. Um, but she, when she, it's interesting because she like, what I was going to say, she hung out here for a little bit at the studio and everybody got pictures with her. She was very sweet. You know, we had the band in Studio A today recording and they uh awesome band beach slang beach slang yeah also fans of the podcast yeah and they uh so they all get pics with our jason our engineer um who seemed to be a bigger fan of her film career yeah <laughs> um no she's she's very sweet and the, and the podcast as you just heard is was amazing so yeah it was great beach slang actually were the first band too that were ever like can we see where you guys do the podcast <laughs> and i brought them in this room and they're like whoa <laughs> So that was those guys are, are awesome, but yeah, check them out. They're just uh, just signed to Polyvinyl Records, and uh, they're I mean, great. it's pretty amazing. Not too many 
it is a great place where we do this podcast. Not too many rooms are are solid gold with the with the elegant bar and and Maurice. Thank you, Maurice. I'll have another uh, cognac. Yeah, my, in the corner. My martini a little too dry today. I he, have to admit. You know, Maurice in the morning his martini his evening martinis are much better. Yeah, yeah. If that's a good point, uh, Maurice, drop in do twenty. But anyways, uh, if thank- you can hear the jacuzzi in the background. That uh, means it's time. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's but time for us to throw some links out. Throw some links out, Get yes. out of your hair. So, or earbuds. Um, check it out. We have all the episodes up at goingofftrack.com. They're also on iTunes. Uh, you can donate through the website. You can leave us a nice review through iTunes. Um, we're on Twitter. We're all kind of individually on Instagram and that type of stuff. Uh so yeah, send us a message, drop us an email. Cyberstalk um, us. Yeah, cyberstalk us. And uh, yeah, check out Voyager, Jenny's new album. She's going to have some videos and cool content coming out supporting it. So, uh, you know, and she's directing it like we talk about. So I'm sure it's all going to be incredibly well done, like everything she does. So thank you so much, Jenny Lewis, for coming out. Um, thanks to my sister Vanessa for kind of facilitating this. It never would have happened if... They weren't kind of mutual fans of each other. Um, Vanessa couldn't be here, but yeah, that was awesome. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.